Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Hello, church. Hello, hello, church. Look at someone right now and just tell them you love them. You can do it in the room. You can do it online. Come on, turn to someone right now and tell them that you love them. I am so glad that you're joining us. And uh, I'll say um, I appreciate your patience with the inconvenience of this all. Because church is not really via video, people. It's when we're in the room breathing the same air, right? Right. But I'm grateful for technology that gets us through moments like this. But there's a reason for it all. And I thought I'd just let you take a look at some of the work going on. If you've not uh, been around the church, our parking lot is disappearing and a new one is getting put in place. And I'm excited about it. And I just wanted you to see some of the work that's happening. It's underway, which means in a couple of weeks when you drive back, uh, we'll have a new parking lot, which really is significant because safety is a big deal in our world right now. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. And it won't be long. I think we're getting awful close to permits being issued. And uh, when you show up to the church, there's going to be some dust around here. There's going to be some walls coming out, new walls going in. And uh, we're going to see some work on the inside. And the reason for all of this, uh, people wonder sometimes, and, and it's sad, uh, when I, when I don't think they catch, if you will catch the vision of it, but the reason we're doing this isn't just because properties need to be, uh, upkept. It's really about reaching thousands and thousands of more people for Jesus. We live in a new world. We need to live in a new, if you will, understanding of how things need to be done. And so, uh, there's some safety issues that are really important to us as we're getting ready to open up our daycare and uh, our preschool this fall, which I can't wait, which in the longevity of it, we could be looking at 285 kids on this property Monday through Friday. How cool is that? that? That'd just be so awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, it would just be incredible. And so all of those things have to be done. And we've been saying all the time as we've been walking through uh, this COVID thing, when it all began to happen, I felt like God was starting to put in my heart is that we need our property to serve our city, which means it needs to be open all week long. And I don't say with any disrespect of any other church, because ours was just as true, most parking lots at churches are empty during the week. Any business in town, if that was true, we'd all know that they'd be closing or already closed. Which means most parking by churches are really what the unchurched see. It's really about you. It's about us. We build our parking for the weekend. But I really believe that God's church needs to be the one place in our city serving our city more than any other place. And so all of the stuff that's going on right now is to really serve our city and get ready to reach thousands more for Jesus because our work is not done. True? As long as we have breath, we need to be about the kingdom of God and reaching people for Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm really excited. And, and let me just say what I've always said. I know that right now we're online and I know that you're watching and you'll be watching next week. And uh, I was going to say, if you're not watching, which really means I shouldn't say anything because you're not going to hear it anyway. But here's the deal. I've been saying this. 
I know it's summer. No one has a vacation all summer, okay? But when you're in town, be around. Don't let the weather keep you, if you will, from the house of God. We still need to come in and worship together with Jesus. I also want to say this. Please keep giving faithfully. But notice I just smiled, but cheerfully. It always saddens me in the church when when money gets talked about, people start tensing up and freaking out. That's a little weird for me because if you won the lottery, hundred bucks, you wouldn't be tensing up and freaking out. See, it's just odd to me that, that, that we, we think about giving as a sacrifice instead of an incredible joy. There's no greater investment than you can make in the kingdom of God. I promise you, there's no greater investment than that. And so I just want to encourage you, keep giving faithfully, keep giving cheerfully because there are incredible days ahead here at this church. And I'm very grateful. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Proverbs chapter seven, Proverbs chapter seven. I'm going to be reading from the new living translation, but we've been in a series building a better life. You can see it right here. Okay. And while you're looking, I'm going to take a drink. Ah, because without water, there is no life, which means you ain't going to build anything. We call that death. But I, as, as, as you're going there to Proverbs, I want to state a reality that we all know. And it's going to seem a little weird, but I'm going to apply it to yourself. But we all love a good story, don't we? Come on. We all love a good story. It's a mega billion dollar industry probably trillion dollar industry. I didn't do my homework, so I'm just going to be safe at the billion mark, okay? But we love a good story, whether it be a good book or a great movie. Everybody here loves a good story because there's something about them. And when you think about this, they speak to us in ways that nothing else can. They, if you will, inspire us in ways that no other entity can. And if we're really honest with this, uh, with ourselves, they ultimately change us. There's just nothing like a good story. So we talk about them. We quote them. I mean, my goodness, if you're around the younger generation, no one quotes movies more than them. I, I think it's the new language of the day. You know, if it's not said on the big screen, it better not come out of your mouth. But I'm telling you, it happens. And, and, and hence, you know what we do? We watch them over and over and over again and again and again. Okay, how, how many have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Come on, come on. I bet, okay, how many have seen it more than once? It's in, isn't this crazy? Has anybody ever noticed when you watch it again? Same thing happens. Have you all figured that out? I know people who've watched Titanic over and over again and still have said to me, they don't understand why they released more boats to save more. I mean, it's almost like they're looking at the screen going, get off the boat. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the same number dies every time. Okay. The same as it did over a hundred years ago. It just, it's just true. But we, there's something about us that, that draws us in. And for a moment we forget time. We forget something about even our own lives, the power of story again and again. We just did this last night. I don't know if you've ever seen The Greatest Showman. My daughter, my youngest daughter and I sat down and watched it again. And I did the same thing that I do every time I've watched it. And I'll bet I've watched it 20 plus times. Same thing happens. You know, when we start singing that song about lying in bed at night and letting our minds, I'm weeping. 
And you know what I'm wanting? I'm wanting what everybody else in this room wants. I'm wanting that to happen to my life. I'm crying because I'm like, God, that's what I want for my life. I want you to do something with it that's magical. I want my life to matter. And I think about my children and I think about all the years I've already lived. And, and even today, I still feel like I haven't done enough. Like I've fallen short. So it's the power of story, the power of story. But what if I told you, what if I told you there's a story that's worth more than anything I just described? Like, what if I told you there's a story greater than any Hollywood blockbuster, better than any Tolstoy or Dickens or Hemingway or had ever been written? A story that has more power to move, to shape and inspire the world around you. And yet a story that often goes unread, a story that's often neglected, but a story that needs to be, and that story is you. Now, before you write me off, <laughs> no pun intended, allow me to offer something. You see, you're a story. I'm going to show you that. And what if I told you that the whole gospel of Jesus Christ has no impact, has no power, until it becomes your story. And yet it's the one story that seems to never get told. The power of story. See, here's what I know, that you have a story that's brought about laughter, of which you may have forgotten. A story that's brought about pain and sadness, of which sadly you wish you could forget. But it's a story. And your story is a story that I contend continually needs to be written and read. And maybe for some a little updated, but still told. Let me help you with it. I'll tell you a story. It's one of my favorite movies. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Every Christmas I have to watch this movie which in all fairness is really not even a Christmas story, but it's the story of George Bailey played by the legendary Jimmy Stewart, a man who dreams, if you haven't seen it, of traveling the world and building things. Maybe we've all had that dream. Everybody wants to do something significant with their life. That's the story of It's a Wonderful Life that so often people miss. So he dreams of traveling the world. He dreams of building great things, but instead he stays home in Bedford Falls because he chooses to do what he believes in the moment, what is right and is noble for the sake of someone else. But time has a way, doesn't it? That kind of keeps you planted where you didn't want to be and you start losing the dream of what you really wanted to be. And just like every good story, there's a crisis. A crisis where George, in his frustration, comes to believe that everyone around him 
would be better off if he'd never been born. So with the help of an angel by the name of Clarence, he gets a chance. What would life have been like if he'd never been born? And what he discovers is, is that without him, Bedford Falls is now a dark, depressing place. And he comes to realize that his life does make a difference. He comes to realize that his story did matter. And I'm here to tell you, so does yours. In fact, listen to the words of Clarence that he says during this moment of time when George realizes that his life does matter. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole. You know, several years ago, I ordered a book, this book right here. It's entitled The Greatest Story Ever Told. I was intrigued by the title, and so I ordered it. But when I got it, I got to tell you, I was disappointed. Because when I opened it up to begin to read it, every page in it is blank. And that's when I realized I'm the author of the greatest story ever told. And so are you. But I just wonder how many people don't see their lives that way. Oh, they, they say they met Jesus. They say they went to church. They went to an altar, but something never really altered them. Maybe they came to Christ because they wanted him to be the great genie where the, all of they do is just present him the book and then he writes it in. And you're not even realizing that they're the author of which God now will guide the pen. It's a little bit different understanding. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to read to you Proverbs 7. And it's maybe a passage you've read before, but you never really read it before. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I'm going to start with the very first verse. Follow my advice, Solomon writes. Always treasure my commands. Follow my advice. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands, and watch what happens, and live. So there's something about obedience and probably why Jesus said, if you really love me, you'll obey my commands. Those who don't obey my commands really don't love me. What Jesus is really saying is this. I wrote you the word. You don't trust me. You don't think that I have the best for your life. So you think you do or your friends do. And so you let them write your story rather than realizing that God has a story for you. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. I know that seems crazy because you think he would say as you guard your own heart. But remember the words of Jesus. He said what? The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are bad, the whole body is bad. Meaning you're not even seeing the incredible life that you have. What I can do with your life. He says, tie them on your fingers as a reminder. 
write them deep. Notice the word, write them deep within your heart. Write them deep. That's what I wanted you to catch. Follow my advice. Always treasure my commands. Obey them and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them. Write them deep within your heart. And it's to that that I want to speak, but I want you to listen. I read these words this week, and it has everything to do with God's word. It actually comes out of the Bible app, and I want you to listen to what was written. It might be inspiring to remember that for thousands of years, God's people had scribes. Those whose job was to pass on God's word by making written copies of it. Think about that. In the Old Testament, scribes, those who wrote God's word, such as Ezra, were revered for their knowledge of scripture that he developed through copying it. Notice that. Our ability to say that God's word is our authority has everything to do with how we write our story. The greatest, if you will, the greatest copy of God's word is how Keith Lloyd chooses to write his story and live. Other words, it has no power. How about you? It goes on to say this, throughout church history, monks transcribed the Bible, devoting their entire lives to studying and living it out. Now, as you hand copy the Bible, you get to mirror the practices of these scribes and monks. And again, the same spiritual blessing you will receive that they had gained. Those are powerful words. And that's my hope. So if you got your notes, why don't you take them out? Because for this to happen, there are two things that you've got to get. Here's the first one. Write it down. We first have to choose much like the video and the video that you saw preceding this message might be my favorite video yet. You have to choose to be that one and start writing. No one can write your story, but you, you see, you just can't sit and watch. Let, let me tell you this for those who sit on the sidelines and watch, you know what they say? Something should be done. You hear it all the time. Someone must do something yet. They do nothing. They see they hear, but nothing. Albert Einstein once said this, the world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who do nothing. So I'll, I'll say what I've always said. The problem in this country right now, if you think there's a problem, is the church. We want to point out all the evil in the world. And yet I agree with Albert Einstein. Evil is those people who sit by and say someone should do something. And God's like, well, then do something. But here's what we do. We love to make statements like this because I hear it all the time. Who, me? I'm just one lone, small voice. I'm no Michael Jordan. I'm no Tom Cruise. I'm no Tom Hanks. I'm no Carrie Underwood. We're always looking and thinking if I just had that. And you don't even realize God has you. 
If he wanted you to be someone else, he'd have made you that. But you matter to him. He just needs the one. Just needs the one. Here's a thought for you. Maybe you need to start understanding your life is really a domino. And if you understood the power of one, maybe God could just push you. And maybe the change of the world is you. He just needed you to get it started. That's why I love the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9. Whatever turns up, grab it, do it. And heartedly, this is your last and only chance at it. Look what he says. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead. How often have I said these words? We all die. In fact, look at someone again and say, I die. All right. Just remind them, you die. We all die. Listen to this very carefully. I'm not saying it to be morbid. I'm saying it to be motivating. That's what I think people miss. We're going to die. There'll come a time. But folks, listen. Now is that time. One may be small, but one's a great way to start. You're not that small, but by the way, in, in God's eyes, you are. But think how big he is and what he could do with you if you just let him do it. I'm sure you heard the story of the starfish, the little kid walking along the beach and he's picking up starfish that are littered all over the sand and he's throwing them back in the ocean as fast as he can. A little old man walks up and says, what in the world are you doing? He says, I'm trying to get all these starfish back into the ocean or they're going to die. And the old man looks along and he sees all the starfish. He says, son, you can't save them all. He goes, I know, picks up one more and he says, but I changed this one's life. It's just the power of one. And when you see your life as a domino and you let God just push it, do you know what you have? What everybody's waiting for? The beginning of a movement. That's what you have. It's the power of one. But here's the second thing you need to do. You got to choose to be that one and start writing. And here it is your story, the greatest story ever told. You don't write someone else's story. I think too many are trying to do that or the want of someone else's story. Now, for me, this goes against everything I had been taught in school and probably you as well, because I was taught when you write a story, you have to cite other people's stories. You have to cite other resources. That's how you, if you will, impregnate the story, right? They tell you all the time, you need to have at least six or seven or eight different sources. But here's what I've discovered. My story and my experiences have more impact than somebody else's. You might want to write this down. I want to be a story liver, not a storyteller. I want to be a story liver, not a story teller. And I, I've, I've had so many people walk up and go, my goodness, you've got to do a lot of things. Of course, it's called the power of one. I choose to get involved, not part, if you will, spectate. I want to participate. 
So I've had the privilege to see one of the seven wonders of the world. I've actually actually seen several of them, but I've never forgotten firsthand to be at Victoria Falls in Zambia. I get to tell the story about all the monkeys who are trying to steal stuff out of my pockets and people laugh and giggle. I got to go to the Holy Land. I don't just read the scriptures. This is why we're taking the cruise of Paul's steps. Some of you might go, it's way too much money. All depends where you want to put your investments. I don't want to just read it. I want to experience it. And ever since I've been to the Holy Land and seen what I've seen and touched what I've touched, it changed the way that I read the word of God. All of that. That's why I jumped out of an airplane. I'm afraid of heights. But you know how many people say, what was that like? It was awesome. And I can tell them, you have no idea how calm the world is. You jump out and all the wind is rushing against you. Sure, I wet my pants, but that's another story. You know it? But I'm falling and all of a sudden the parachute comes out and the whole world goes silent. Oh, the experience. I want to be a story liver. I don't want to be a storyteller. Your story matters and so does mine. You got to be the one and start writing your story. You know, one of the biggest comedy acts of the 60s and 70s was the Smothers Brothers. I don't really remember them completely. Reed does firsthand. But <laughs> there's two brothers, Tommy and Dick. What's wrong, Tommy? Asked Brother Dick. You seem a bit despondent. I am, Tommy replies. I'm worried about the state of our country. Well, why is that? What seems to bother you? Are you worried about the extent of poverty and hunger? Nope, that doesn't bother me. Are you concerned about the growing threat of war? Nope, that doesn't bother me either. Are you upset about the use of drugs amidst our young people? Nope. A little puzzled, Dick says, well, Tommy, if you're not bothered by poverty, hunger, war, and drugs, what are you bothered by? And he says, I'm, I'm worried about apathy. And so am I. It's been said that there are three kinds of people in the world, those who make problems, those who point out problems, and those who solve problems. Which one are you? I'll say this again. Observers always see what's wrong. Participators can only see what can and could be right. And so let me tell you quickly how you can effectively start writing your story. Listen to that again. I told you there's two things that you need to know. It's time to start writing and it's time to start writing your story. Let me give you three ways that you can effectively start writing your story. And here's the first one, write it in. You've got to put yourself into your story. Now I know you might think of, of course, it's my story. No, 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 no. You'd be amazed how many people call someone else's story their story. So they wake up every day looking around and seeing what's popular thing to wear so I can fit in. What are my friends doing so I can walk with them? They don't choose to be different. They don't choose to be themselves. They choose to just sort of crowd their lives with everything that's going around them rather than realizing who's within them. You got to put yourself into your story. And I'm talking your whole self. 
In fact, in the book, Cradles of Eminence, listen to this carefully, there was a study done of 300 highly successful people, 300 highly successful people. And to help you out, names like Franklin D. Roosevelt, Helen Keller, Winston Churchill, Albert Schweitzer, Gandhi, Albert Einstein, Sigmund Freud, 300 of those people. But here's what the study was. It was an intensive investigation of how they grew up. 300 of the most great names that you and I would know. How did they grow up? Three-fourths of them. This is what I think people don't get. Three-fourths of them. That's 75% of them were children in troubled homes. And when I say troubled, we're talking where parents were over-possessive, domineering, and at times even rejected them. Homes filled with poverty and unfortunate events. 74 of the 85 writers of fiction and drama and 16 of the 20 poets came from homes where they saw tense, tense psychological drama played out by their parents. And many of them came from divorced homes. Over one-fourth of the 300 suffered physical handicaps such as blindness, deafness, and crippled limbs. And yet I remind you, it was 300 of some of the greatest names you'll ever know. And you know why? Because each one of them wrote their whole story. They never let their past, their circumstances, their shortcomings, their ailments to be an excuse. They stepped into it. They weren't paralyzed by pains of yesterday. They looked at the promise of tomorrow and realized their story still mattered. Here's my question. How about you? How about you? How often do you wake up and think, wow, where's God? If only. God, why did this have to happen to me? This just doesn't seem fair. So here's what I've learned. I can't do anything through me, but I can do all things through him. My life matters. That's why I was born. I wasn't a mistake. I'm a divinely eternal created gift of God. I want you to listen to some of the words that some of these 300 wrote, and maybe they'll speak to you. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish poet, theologian, and scholar. Here's what he wrote. To dare is to lose one's footing momentarily. Not to dare is to lose oneself completely. Think of that. T.S. Eliot, considered one of the 20th century's greatest poets. If you aren't in over your head, how tall do you think you are? How about Mahatma Gandhi? Be the change you want to see in the world. How about Steve Jobs? Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that do. This is why I love the words of the prophet Isaiah 
Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past for God is doing a new thing. Your best story begins when you put your whole self in. Everything, the good, the bad, the great, the misfortunate. Which brings me to number two. You've got to put your substance into your story. Now let me help you with that. I'm talking about your whole self, your past, everything about it, that somehow God's going to do something amazing with it, right? But you got to put your substance, and most people don't get this. See, I once read there are three questions we all must ask ourselves if we want our lives to truly matter. Three questions. Now, I, I'm gonna, I, I need to preface this. These questions are incredibly overwhelming and intimidating. Because I'm pretty sure when I ask them, you're going to go, I'm out. But I think it's because you're going to read them wrong. But here's the questions. Can I be the best in the world at what I do? I know some of you are going, oh, I'm out. There's people who are better than me. You didn't read the question right. I'll show you that in a minute. Can I be the best in the world at what I do? Here's number two. Am I passionate about what I'm doing? And do I have the resources to change the world? And again, we stop and think, not me. I can barely make the bills. You didn't read the questions. I'm going to help you with it. Because when I first read, wrote, uh, read them, they were overwhelming. They were intimidating to me. But then I reread them and reread them and I realized what they were saying. See, here's the deal. The first question is about your talent. And everybody here has a God-given talent. You see, we all have skills and abilities that were given by God to help others. Thus, I don't have to be the best in the world. That's not what the question asks. I have to be the best me that God made in the world. I just have to become the best version of myself that God made. Because what I've discovered is no one has the exact same skills. No one has the exact same experiences that I have. I'm unique. You're unique. And my uniqueness and your uniqueness is needed. Think about this. That's why God created you. That's the first question. The second question is about heart, specifically your heart. And I want to help you with this because all significance and all effectiveness when it comes to your life has to deal with your heart. Watch this. Because without a sincere desire, there's no determination. You're going to quit. And without determination, there's no difference you're going to make. Think about it this way. Have you ever felt hurt in your heart towards someone else who's less fortunate? Come on, show of hands. Have you ever watched that, that, that hospital about those children and, and cancer and they're having it and you're crying and you're thinking about it? You, you see people go through struggles. When I was in Haiti and right after the earthquake and, and moms are trying to get me to take their babies and you see all the devastation, you're just grieving your heart. You're just grieving in your heart. This is what this question's talking about. It's not about, I want to be passionate to be the best. It's understand that God gave you a heart and he put it in your heart that what you're really feeling when I was in Haiti is I want them to have the best. 
And God put in my heart to say, okay, what are you going to do about it? See, listen to this carefully. When God puts that in your heart and you feel it, feed it. Let me say it again. When you sense that in your heart and you feel it, feed it. That's God putting it there. He's showing you what really matters in life. It's not about your success. It's about your service for someone else's best. That's why Jesus so loved the world heart that he laid down his life for you and I. That's what that's talking about. The third question is about tools. And if there's one thing I know about this country, we have more resources than we realize. That's why I contend, don't miss this. Our problem in this world right now is not comprehensive, it's comparative. Meaning we spend way too much time looking over the fence at what others have rather than realizing all that we have. That's why these questions matter. The Bible tells us whatever you have been given, use it to serve others. Whatever it is, just use it to serve. Whatever it is, just use it to serve. So let me read those questions again. Can I be the best in the world at what I do? Am I becoming the best version of Keith Loy? Am I passionate about what I'm doing, about really serving other people? Do I really care about other people? And do I have the resources to change the world? You bet your boots I do. Because the greatest resource I have, his name is Jesus. You can change the world. And together, imagine what we could do. Finally, here's number three. Put your start in your story. You know what I'm talking about? Like now. Quit putting off tomorrow what you need to get doing today. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know what it means to rejoice into something? It means that my life can make a difference. That's what it is. You know why I think there's so much sadness in the world? Because we're spending all our time trying to be somebody else rather than the person I have. Start writing your story. Your story. Nobody else's. Write your story. Because if I could be brutally honest with you, there's a word I've come to just not like. Can I just be honest with you? You know what that word is? Try. I hate the word try. I just hate the word try. Because for me, it's a statement of excuse. See, when you say, well, I'm trying, you know what you're saying? I'll probably blow it. You will. That's why you said it. Then you love to hear people say this, right? Well, none of us are perfect. Jesus is. I thought I'm supposed to serve him. I thought the Bible says I can do all things through Christ. See, I'm not a fan of try because it never communicates commitment. I'm a fan of to do, like now, like start. When I choose to start, when I choose to do, not try, it unleashes a power to change. It raises life's ante. It motivates a desire to excel, to be alive, to believe, to be dedicated to something bigger, much greater than anything I could do within myself. You know what else it does? It tells everybody on the team, you can count on me. That's what it means. See, while trying is filled with good intention, to do is the result of it. I want the results. 
Here's the reality. If you do nothing, nothing can go wrong, right? But while doing nothing, nothing can fail. Nothing can succeed either. That's why I like the old Vietnamese proverb, to start is half the battle. And so may I encourage you, get started. Will it be perfect? No. Will you get it right? Probably not. Could you get started in the wrong direction? I'm guessing so. But you can't let your fears, you can't let your questions keep you from getting started. As author Ernest Hemingway once put it, the first draft is always crap. He just didn't use the word crap. But I'm grateful he kept writing. And so will others if you keep writing as well. Look what the Bible says. Though your beginning was insignificant, your end will increase greatly. So get started. Get started. Because in Jesus, the ending of the story is really good. It's worth writing. It's worth rewriting. And it's worth writing now your story, not someone else's, your story. It matters to God. Doesn't matter to you. Watch this. From the outside looking in, my life probably looked perfect. I had a beautiful daughter, I was married, and I served at church faithfully. The inside though, I was actually in a very abusive relationship. I was raising my daughter by myself, and I didn't feel God's love. There came a point in my relationship where things turned physical. When I finally gathered the courage to leave, I left with nothing but a small bag of clothes and some important documents. I had no money, no job, nothing. I didn't know where I was gonna go. God led me to celebrate. And that's when my life changed. For the first time, I took God outside of the walls of church. I started praying daily. I started reading the Bible. I started relying on Him instead of myself. And that's when God really showed up in my life. He moved mountains that I never could have moved on my own. And the more I showed up for God, the more I started serving and getting involved and being in the church, the more He showed up in my life. I've had the pleasure and the opportunity to be able to serve in our kids' ministry for many years. I've been able to see our kids grow and flourish in God's love. And I'm now serving with them in the youth ministry. And I'm seeing them share stories that are eye-opening because they're very realistic. But because of my experience and the things that I'm willing to share with them, they trust me and we've built that trust by being there consistently with the children every week. They know that they can come to me and that they can talk to me about anything and that I'll give them guidance. I have complete forgiveness for my ex. In my journey with God, I knew that I needed to let that go, not just for him, not for his salvation, but for my salvation. Carrying that burden with me 
and walking with that burden every day is not something that I wanted to do and definitely not something that God wanted me to do. And once I released that and I gave away that forgiveness, I felt so free. I never thought that we could have been here and we only did it because of God. I've been given the opportunity to help other women that are in the same situation that I was in. I've been given the opportunity to share with our youth what healthy boundaries are in relationships. And best of all, I've been asked to serve as part of a core team for our Celebrate Church plant in Riverside. The one thing that I would encourage everyone to do is don't put God in a box. Don't just put him away for special occasions and for when you're feeling bad. Bring him out, make him a daily occurrence. Get into the word, make prayer with him a daily occurrence. And I promise you, when you do that, God's gonna show up in your life. He's gonna move mountains. I love those words, don't put God in a box. Put him in a book, your book. The greatest story ever told. You get to pen it, you get to author, Start writing your story. If it needs to be rewritten, rewrite it. It's time for you to give you to God. It's time to turn the pages of your yesterday into new pages for tomorrow. There's a book that people need to read and it's your book. I contend it's time to start writing, telling your story, God's story. It's amazing what God will do. Now here's the reality as we close. You already are, and you already have been. The question is, what is the world reading in you? Is it what you want them to read? About who your God is and what you believe he can do? Today can be a new day. God's not done. And for some of you, he might just be getting started. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.